This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 124, and we are recording on March 20th. I'm Jen Northington, and I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Hi. Hello. Are you ready for the snow? Uh, I know. It's almost April, y'all. What? <laughs> what? Could we be done now? Could we maybe be done? I would It's supposed that. to snow both tomorrow and then also Saturday. What? And I, yeah, and I'm going to DC. Like me and my me and my mom and my foster daughter are going to the March for Our Lives in DC on Saturday. So we're just gonna I don't know. I'm gonna introduce my foster child to political activism in like the worst possible weather. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. There's a march here too on Saturday. Well, we'll see what happens. I guess. Um, <sighs> what are you reading? Oh man, <laughs> let me tell you. <laughs> Let me tell you, I just finished um, last night uh, The Beauty, which is by Aliyah Whiteley. Aliyah Whiteley? Um, and this is a, it's a weird fiction, right? So like bizarro, fungal weirdness. And it's post-apocalyptic in, a, in our world. And it takes place in like this commune. Um, and the apocalypse that happens is that all of the women on the planet die of this fungal infection. Um, and so the only people left are dudes. <laughs> And then um, one day outside of this commune where these dudes live, the main character, Nate, is telling the story. Um, he realizes that there are weird, giant, fast-growing mushrooms growing out of the graves of all of the women who lived at the commune uh, who all died of this disease. And then the mushrooms come to life, and they're woman-shaped. And stuff happens with weird. the women, the mushroom women and the dudes. And then the dudes get pregnant via the mushroom women. And it is so weird. <laughs> like, it's just the weirdest. I mean, you know, I've read some weird stuff. There's, like, you know, Annihilation, super weird. Yep. This was, like, the most unsettling thing I think I've ever read. <laughs> and it's it's not, I mean, there's some violence. There's not any sexual violence that I remember. Um, but it's, like, just creepy. Like, the dudes develop these psychic connections, and they almost imprint on their, like, mushroom wives. And some of the guys are, are, are not into it, and they split it into factions, and it's just, oh, God, it's so weird. It's just so weird. But it's super smart. Like, she's doing this really smart gender-swapping thing. Like, the, the, the mushroom women who come to life don't speak. Like, they have no mouths, so there's no, there's no talking. And um, they're physically stronger than the men, so the men, they take over all the physical labor, and they're very physically threatening. And, like, she's so, it's kind of like The Power, that, that book that just came out that won the, whatever it was, uh, Bailey? Was, mm-hmm. it was, no, it just won something, I don't remember. Um, in that, like, women, the female characters in the book suddenly have all the physical strength and, like, what would happen, but in a commune. And also, they're not humans. They're fungus. It's just, <laughs> it's just, I can't, I, anyway, what do you, you, you talk about? <laughs> Um, last night I finished Blood of a Thousand Stars by Rhoda Beleza, which is the sequel to Empress of a Thousand Skies, which longtime listeners will remember I was really jazzed up about. I feel like I need to go back and reread the first one because 
this one is very twisty turny and I kept being like wait what like did I, am I supposed to remember this plot point <laughs> which is an experience I do sometimes have with sequels especially if it's been if I read the the first book before it even pubbed you know if I read it in galley um but I'm still super excited that and it's a two book series so it's done now um and it's it's I like I'm still trying to figure out how I feel about the ending like it was good I just have complicated feelings about who did what to who um but it yeah I was super jazzed that it the sequel finally was out and um and I didn't hear anything about it so I I like definitely want to make sure that y'all know that the sequel is out so yeah you if you if you also loved Empress of a Thousand Skies you definitely should pick it up and then we could talk about it um it's Blood of a Thousand Stars by Rhoda Beleza all right, let's see. How does this show work? You might be asking yourself. <laughs> Let me tell you. Uh, we are a recommendation show, which means that people send us questions about what they should read next, what their book club should read next, what they should give to a friend or a relative uh, based on whatever it is that they know or that you know about your own reading tastes. And we will try to find you some books. If you have, you can submit questions in two different ways. You can drop them into the form that's at the bottom of the show notes on the site, or you can email us. It's getbooked at bookriot.com. And if you have a time-sensitive question, please make sure you note the date that you would like an answer by, either in the subject line of an email or the very first line of the form. We will do our best to get to it. Um, if we're not going to get to it before then on air, or if it's a question that we've answered a couple times before, we might email you. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, I'm going to read our first question, and then Amanda's going to do our first sponsor, and away we will go. So our first question is from Jessica, who says, I'm looking for a book that is fun, light, and possibly magical. While I do love books that deal with important and often heavy issues, several people in my family are battling major health issues that are pretty heavy. So I'm looking for a book to escape from all that when I need a little pick-me-up. I recently read The Invisible Library and loved it. Where'd You Go Bernadette, Ready Player One, The Night Circus, and Harry Potter are some of my favorites. I want something I can spend some time with, so, no, so please no short stories or graphic novels. I can't wait to hear what you recommend. Okay, before we get to our answers, I'm going to tell you about our first sponsor, which I'm super excited about, actually. It's The Curse of the Boyfriend Sweater, Essays on Crafting by Alana Akun, which comes out today uh, as we're filming. So by the time you hear this, you can get it. Um, and this is a memoir about life, life truths learned through crafting. So Alana has some anxiety and she has learned to knit. And this is sort of how she keeps her anxiety at bay. And she's talking. She talks a lot about like um, I don't. If you knit or crochet at all, then you'll know like second sock syndrome is a thing when you're like making a pair of socks and you finish one and you're like I have, I'm done. Like I just can't. I can't. I can't make another one. Like this is just. I'm super good. I'm I'm super done now. Um, and I man, I didn't. I haven't heard anything about this book until I read the talking points for this, and I'm like so excited about it. This is a debut, and it takes you on a journey of everything that Alana learned out of knitting and crafting, which her grandmother taught her to do. It's funny. Um, she is a crafter who has written for Apartment Therapy and for Brooklyn Magazine. And BuzzFeed actually named it one of the 33 most exciting new books of the year. So, um, yeah, if you, I mean, like, if you are crafting, this is obviously going to be, if you're a crafter, this is obviously going to be up your alley. So um, it's a book where you know that, you know, you can't control anything else, but you can control the sticks and the string and the fabric that's right in front of you. So I mean, like, I'm excited about this. I think I'm, I'm going to, like, go get it today. So that's The Curse of the Boyfriend Sweater uh, by Alana Akun. That is a good title. I like right? that title. Yes, good. It's, yes. 
Well done. <laughs> well done, Flatiron. I see you. Okay, so I'm just going to keep going. Um, light, fun, magical books to help you escape from family stuff that's happening. I picked The Air Affair by Jasper Fjord, which is the first book in the Thursday Next, Thursday Next series, of which there are seven, eight? I think the eighth one comes out this year, maybe, or next year. Um, yeah, so there's a lot. So you can really get it. You will not have short story graphic novel problems with this. You can get into this series and be in it for a long time. Um, so Thursday is a detective. And man, this is such like a complicated universe to describe. So Thursday Next is a, is a special operative. And in this universe, it's a, it, the first book opens in um, the UK in the 80s. And it's a very literary kind of universe and also very magical. So like time travel is a normal thing. Popping into and out of the book universes of books is a thing that happens. Um, the idea that Francis Bacon really wrote Shakespeare is like violent protests can, can occur when you get into talking about this sorts of thing. Everyone is named John Milton. Like it's just, this is a very literary world. Um, and the villain of the book, this is a mystery. Like it's a cozy mystery. So the villain, his name is Archer on Hades and he is a thief. He's stolen the original manuscript of Dickens's Martin Chuzzlewit and then kills a minor character. And then that character disappears from every volume of the book that exists. Um, and so what he's doing next, he's targeted Jane Eyre and he goes into the, the novel Jane Eyre and takes her, like kidnaps Jane Eyre out of the pages of Bronte. And Thursday, the hero, heroine, is uh, crafted or assigned with the um, with solving it, finding out where she went, saving the day, restoring our beloved Bronte novel to its former glory with its heroine intact. Um, so, yeah, so you're like just following her. She like goes into the book, like into into Thornfield and like meets Rochester and Miss Fairfax and all this kind of stuff. Um, and then every book after that is some kind of take on that. So like another literary caper that's just like super fun and magical and a little bit supernatural. And it's they're really funny. Um, so I think this would be a good bit. So that's The Air Affair by Jasper. I decided to recommend A Discovery of Witches by Deborah Harkness, which in my head is practical magic plus vampires plus outlander. Dang. <laughs> Bingo! Hey! <laughs> um, so it's about a woman named Diana Bishop, who is a graduate student studying in Oxford. Um, and she is from a, a witchy family. That's the project practical magic bit. Um, but she wants nothing to do with magic. She's like, no, no. I'm going to be normal, cut damn it, and, like, I am just going to do my scholar thing, and I'm going to study ancient manuscripts, and, like, I don't need to be involved with all that magic nonsense. But then, in the course of her researches, she accidentally discovers a magical text in the Bodleian Library, and she's like, oh, shoot, like, I have called up this text, it's clearly important, it's weird, and now everybody is, like, trying to get at me because I was the one who accessed it, and apparently they can't access it, and why can I get to it? And then she starts dating a vampire because that's what you do. <laughs> um, and and it's it's and then there's time travel and all kinds of other stuff. Um, but it's a big like sweeping kind of story, and it's the first in a series. And there are, I believe, if I'm remembering correctly, that all three books are currently out. Plus, yes, I'm correct. Plus, there is a there's a new like installment in the sort of vampire world coming. Um, so there's a bunch here if you like it. And I found it that very kind of immersive, like get you out of your own head, kind of hijinky fun 
fantasy. Like it, it's like realistic enough that you feel like, oh yeah, like I I know about Oxford a little bit and like I know what it's like to have family troubles, but then it's all magic and time travel and, you know, vampire vampire boyfriends. So <laughs> I feel like that might be what you are looking for. Uh so that is a discovery of witches by Deborah Harkness. I just picked that one up at a dollar for a lib for a uh, dollar at a library book sale, and I'm like really excited. <laughs> yeah, so it's just fun. Like it's yeah. just fun. Yeah. All right. Question two is from Sarah, who says uh, the orchestra I perform with is going on tour to Peru, Argentina, and Uruguay next month, and I'd love to read a novel or two set in the countries where we'll be. I'm also writing my dissertation, so lighter, fun reads would be appreciated. Nothing supernatural, please. Okay, well, I hope that you consider murder fun <laughs> and, and light because I went with a murder mystery. It's called Death Going Down by Maria Angelica Bosco, and it's translated by Lucy Greaves. But Bosco was very much considered like the Argentinian Agatha Christie, so it's that kind of murder mystery. It's not like gory or, you know, gone girly kind of you're going to hate everyone and by the end you're going to want to throw it. Like, it's, it is, it's not light because obviously it's a murder, but um, it's not heavy either. It's just... It's, it's Christie-ish. Cozy. It's cozy. Um, so this takes place in the 50s, right after World War II, in Buenos Aires. And in the very early hours of the morning, a guy comes home drunk to his apartment complex, opens the elevator, and finds a young, beautiful girl dead in the elevator. And the, the police come. No one can tell if it's a murder or a suicide. And so that's the investigation. Uh, and it sets off down trying to figure out if it was one or the other. Everyone who lives in the apartment complex is a suspect. And everyone who lives in the apartment complex is also a big fat liar. And since it's World War II, or right immediately post-World War II and in Argentina, some of them are immigrants from Europe who are hiding very dark pasts. Which I'm sure, like, if you know anything about history in Argentina and World War II, you might get a little bit of what I'm, you might be picking up what I'm putting down here. Um, and so the the detective has to figure out who in the apartment complex is um, is guilty, if it is a murder, or who drove the girl to suicide if she did commit suicide. Um, so it is very, like, kind of closed room in that way. I mean, the characters are free to come and go. It isn't like they're actually stuck <laughs> in the apartment complex. Um, but you are going, like, apartment to apartment to apartment and learning things, more and more things about everybody who lives there and, like, all of the secrets they keep. So um, it's, a, it's a great whodunit. Uh, the setting is, uh, if you are an Agatha Christie fan, will feel familiar to you um, in that, like, all of these kind of aspirationally wealthy people are stuck in one building and have done something terrible uh, kind of a way. So that's Death Going Down by Maria Angelica Bosco. I had to phone a friend for this one because <laughs> all of the books that I've read or could find from the library that take place in Peru, Argentina, and Uruguay were really depressing and dark. Yeah. And like, there's nothing wrong with that, but that's not what you asked for. So I emailed my friend Chad, who I used to work with at the bookstore, who has read more Latin American fiction than anybody else I know. And he sent back a recommendation for The Hair by Cesar Ira, um, which he says is about a 19th century English naturalist named Clark, who is roaming the plains of Argentina looking for an elusive flying rabbit known as the Legibrarian Hare, which may or may not exist. So I know you said nothing supernatural. This is more like whimsy, I want to say. <laughs> so hopefully that's okay. Um, and he has like meetings with prankster natives 
lives and conversations with a teenager in love and a very like grumpy guide and he's having zero luck and then you know like all kinds of other hijinks ensue a chief disappears a tribal war break breaks out and then there's this whole adventure um and so he says it's fun and whimsical for its plot and philosophical musings alike so hopefully like a quirky whimsy filled thing will work for you uh and i don't know it's I, it's a book i've actually been meaning to read since chad was recommending it at the bookstore like years ago <laughs> so i it's it's on my tbr it sounds like it might be a good fit for you hopefully you will not mind the whimsy so that's the hair by cesar ira all right, question three is from Michaela, who is looking for a good trilogy to read. I'm participating in a Litzy reading challenge, and one of the categories is to read a trilogy. It can be YA or not, preferably not. I really liked the Grisha trilogy. I tried the first in the Blood of Eden series and didn't care for it. I've read all the popular YA ones like Hunger Games, Divergent, etc. My favorite genres are fantasy, mystery, and historical fiction. Amanda, you talk. Okay, I went with the Shades of Magic trilogy by V.E. Schwab, which is uh, is fantasy. And I think if you like the Grisha trilogy, then you will like this. It's not, it's got that kind of same like magic kind of universe. Um, and I feel like that's really where the similarities end. They just feel similar to me, <laughs> which is not real because feelings aren't fact. Uh, but I liked both. So there you go. So this takes place in uh, parallel Londons. So there's red, gray, white, and black London. Well, black London, you're not allowed to enter. It's very scary. Uh, and they exist, you know, they're parallel dimensions, I guess, and so they exist against each other. And in each one, magic exists in some form um, or does not because of how the magic in this universe functions. So the, the main, there are two main characters. The first one is Kel, and he was raised in Red London, and he serves as an, ambas an ambassador for the royal family. He's been adopted by the royal family because he is the only person in this universe, or the only person in Red London, one of only a few people in the entirety of this universe who can travel between the different Londons because he is a very particular kind of magician. Um, so he is the ambassador to the other Londons from the court of the um, city where he exists. So he goes back and forth. Uh, he's also kind of a bit of a, a troublemaker and a smuggler uh, because magic exists in a very um, fertile, like, like, like functional way in Red London. Uh, a lot of people have access to it. Uh, it's really woven into the way that the world works. But in gray London, which is what we would consider ours, basically, um, there is no magic. In white London, it, magic exists, but it's very hard to come by so much that the world has devolved into like a, a really violent and terrible, frightening place. So he smuggles stuff back and forth between the, the various Londons to people who are willing to pay for it, especially to gray London, where, white, where magic doesn't really exist and people are kind of starved for a little bit of it if they believe in it. He smuggles something that gets him into a lot of trouble. And while he does that, he runs into Delilah Bard, who is way more interesting than him. She's a great character. She's a thief um, in, in Grey London who robs him <laughs> and accidentally steals like one of the most dangerous artifacts that could exist in this universe. Uh, so he has to go find her, find her and get it back. And then they team up together to kind of save the world um, from a very deadly enemy, as is right and proper in a fantasy adventure. Um, so they go back and forth between the various Londons. Delilah is introduced to the concept that, like, magic exists. And then the trilogy continues. I can't really, you know, like, in the nature of trilogies, I can't talk about the rest of the books without really spoiling the ending of the first one. But it is very, there's pirates, there's swashbuckling, there's um, really interesting magical universe. 
Kel is uh, like a very grumpy kind of character, which is always fun for me. And Delilah is hilarious. And she makes terrible choices that always seem to magically turn out well for her. She's just like one of those, I don't know, like charming. She's charming and great. So yeah, so that's the Shades of, Ma Shades of Magic series. Um, it's three books. The, the, the third book in the trilogy came out recently. Was it like the beginning of this year? It's still in hardcover, I know. So go check that out by V.E. Schwartz. I picked the Broken Earth Trilogy by N.K. Jemisin, which is now complete and is, for my money, one of the best science fiction trilogies. Science fantasy? Mm, hard to say. Uh, but it's one of the best SFF trilogies ever? Ever. I'm just going to say ever. Um, it's great. The first book is the fifth season, and it introduces you to the world, as first books are wont to do, um, where this is a planet that is always on the brink, basically always on the brink of a, a natural disaster. Earthquakes have like, you know, ravaged the, the societies over time. So everybody kind of grows up with this um, lore knowing that like, you know, tomorrow the big one could hit and like, here's how you survive the apocalypse. Um, and one day, lo and behold, there is a whole new giant earthquake that creates new volcanoes and ruins a bunch and everybody, like lots of people die and the world is turned into turmoil. But it is actually caused by a person because in this universe, there is... There are people who have the power to control geological forces, and they are called the Origins, and they are basically enslaved um, and manipulated and controlled and used for their powers by the ruling classes and by the rest of society, um, and they're very, like, feared and, you know, very what's the word I want? Policed sort of, um, by everybody else. And, uh, and one of them is like, I've had enough of this and I'm just going to like destroy the world because I'm so angry about it. Um, and the story kind of unfolds from there. I will give you a trigger warning for harm to children. It's like, there are several children that get harmed, if not killed throughout the course of the book. And it's really sad. Um, there's a lot of difficult material in here, as you might guess from the synopsis, because she is dealing with things like race and class and who has power and who gets to be in charge of their own destinies. But the characters are so good. You just get pulled right in. Um, and there's such a range of characters as well. Like you get a whole bunch of different perspectives on this aspect. And then in terms of the writing, the first book in particular has this very interesting three-part structure. Um, some of the writing is in second person. Some of it is in third person close. And it, the story kind of spirals around itself and, and unwinds over the courses of the books. And you discover all of these layers as you go. And it just, like, it just gets better and better. Like, in terms of trilogies that really just work beautifully all the way through and that actually do like stay as good if not get a little bit better as they go on because it's hard to manage a trilogy that way um this one absolutely does it's one of my favorite third books that I've ever read it's just really really great so that is the Broken Earth Trilogy by N.K. Jemisin okay question four is from Emily who says I'm participating in the Read Harder Challenge and I'm a bit anxious just thinking about the true crime book could you recommend a non-violent true crime book for anxious wimps like me maybe a heist or something <laughs> um okay um, I picked the Orchid, the Orchid Thief by Susan Orlean, which Goodreads does not classify as true crime, but it is. Like, there are several crimes that happen here. Uh -huh. uh, there's a lot of crime. It's, it is. I agree. I, I agree. It. Thank you. 
So if you've seen uh, Adaptation, which is the movie very loosely based on this book, they are not the same. So don't let like any experience you had with that movie color whether or not you pick up this book. Um, it started as a piece that Orlean was writing, I think for The New Yorker, about one particular man named John LaRoche who lives in Florida and is a rare ghost orchid collector. And so she was writing this piece about him um, and his like journey through the Florida swamps, basically, to find this um, particular flower that he was looking for, along with the Seminole Native Americans who helped him. Um, and what this like completely obsessive subculture of flower collectors is like. But the book really expands upon that idea. And the crime portion is that um, both John and lots of other side characters, a lot of characters that read people, lots of other people in the book are thieves. Like they steal flowers from each other and are trying to clone them. Um, so there's a lot of like trespassing and minor property theft. And also, but the, like the reason why I think this would really qualify for true crime is the crimes committed against like real estate crime. Like there's so much land scamming happening uh, in Florida based upon the locations of these really rare flowers, including some that are on reservations. And so like Native American reservation rights is this whole thing that, that the book explores. Um, and <laughs> like the... I keep calling them characters because they're characters. And like, like John LaRoche is a character, right? Like the guy is deeply strange and entertaining and like kooky. Uh, wow, like Spencer Day in the Swamp. I mean, his, it's just funny, but like accidentally. Anyway, so there's a lot of crime happening in this book, but none of it is, well, I don't want to say high stakes because like Native American rights is certainly high stakes, but there's no, there's not murdering happening. There is flower stealing happening. Um, so yeah, so that's The Orchid Thief, A True Story of Beauty and Obsession by Susan Orlean. I picked Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil by John Barron because I totally feel you on this one. I can't read <laughs> very violent or very like tense true crime. It just creeps me right out. Um, but this book is so well, I mean, it's been years since I read it, but I had such an amazing reading experience with this book and it's such an interesting story. It also has been made into a movie. Um, it has been a minute since I read and or saw, so I don't remember exactly how well they match up, but you should definitely read the book. Um, and it is about a murder. It's about a murder trial. So you're not like the person who shot the other person has been caught and is now on trial. Um, and the question is, is it murder or self-defense? So it takes place in Savannah in the 80s and a very sort of um, upstanding citizen has shot and killed a very, like, a young sort of man about town, like, hapless person. Um, and everybody's trying to figure out, like, what actually happened. And, and, and John Barrett, who's a reporter, went down to cover the trial and also sort of talk to people in Savannah about what was going on. So you have the actual trial and then you have all of these characters. I'm going to use the word too, because they are like yeah. characters in the original sense of the word, like very interesting people that Baron interviews and is spending time with in the course of covering this. So like there's like society ladies and there's um, an amazing drag queen and there's an antiques dealer and like a con artist and there's a debutante ball for a black society um, and there is in fact a voodoo priestess and it's just a really sort of full 
or well, I don't. I wouldn't know because I've never been to Savannah. But it feels very sort of like he he sought out a bunch of different kinds of people and got as many different perspectives as he could in the course of being in Savannah to to cover this trial. And you also get his impressions of the city and the people. So it's like a little bit memoiry, which is nice. And then there is the the trial element. And um, and it, if I remember rightly, it leaves it a little open-ended. You're kind of left to make up your own mind about what has happened here. But it's just a really immersive, great piece of nonfiction. And, I, and it totally counts. It's, it's definitely true crime. Uh, so yeah, that would be my recommendation for you. That, so that is Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil by John Barron. And it is now time for our second sponsor, which is She Caused a Riot by Hannah Jewell, uh, which is an empowering, no-holds-barred look into the epic adventures and dangerous exploits of 100 inspiring women who were too brave, too brilliant, too unconventional, too poor, not lady-like enough, not white enough to be recognized by their contemporaries, uh, from 3rd century Syrian Queen Zenobia to 20th century Nigerian women's rights activist Funmilayo Ransomekuti. These are women who gave no Fs um, and can help inspire a new movement of women to do the same. There is, it's, as you might guess from the synopsis, it's a very diverse set of women, different countries, cultures, and time periods, um, and it is receiving great praise. Uh, the hosts of Being Boss podcast said it should be mandatory reading for every woman who aspires to rock the boat and make necessary change. So this is one you can add to your feminist library. I kind of love that there's all of these, like, rad women A to Z, and um, oh, not, what's the princess one? Now I've forgotten but anyway like rejected not, princesses or something like yeah, that. yeah yeah like I love that there's all these books coming out which are sort of diving back into history and t- contemporary times and finding the women who were who did stand up and did persevere but we don't hear about them because systemic patriarchy um <laughs> and I'm really excited for another addition to that and that's what this is so that's she caused a riot by Hannah Jewell thank you for sponsoring the show Okay, question five is from Madeline, who says, My best friend's birthday is in three weeks, and I'm stumped. I've exhausted my knowledge of big, gothic, isolated house psychological thrillers, which are her favorite. I've given her Rebecca, The Haunting of Hill House, The Silent Companions, The Women in Black, Essex Serpent, and most of Wilkie Collins. Creepy and or serious is great, but odd or quirky is okay. Her favorite movie is Clue, so an Edward Gorey vibe is great, too. What you got, Amanda? Um, first of all, A plus Wilkie Collins. Yes, <laughs> Wilkie Collins is amazing. Um, okay, so I picked White is for Witching by Helen Oyoyemi, which is just, like, such a classic, gothic, creepy, big house, haunted thing. Like, I'm just putting words together here. <laughs> all the keywords that you're looking for. Um, book. <laughs> so it's about a teenage girl named Miranda who uh, has a twin, Elliot. And she lives with her twin brother and her dad after her mother has died. And she has come back home after a stay in a mental hospital for an eating disorder she has called pika, where she eats non, like, non-organic things. Chalk. She eats chalk. Um, but it is a real condition, and it can manifest in any number of ways. People eat dirt, uh, any kind of um, not food item. And so she has come home from that, and her father has taken the twins to a family house that he owns on the cliffs of Dover, um, and they're going to turn it into a bed and breakfast. So Miranda and Elliot and her dad move in, and the house is not 
not well. <laughs> like, it's not nice. It, it makes a lot of strange sounds. Visitors get very confused about where, what rooms lead to which. Um, the, the flower, I mean, the, the plants and the trees bloom at times. They're not supposed to bloom. Like, it's just very odd. And then Miranda starts to realize that it's haunted. You know, it's haunted. <laughs> like, it is haunted. And not just haunted, but, like, haunted by generations of her female relatives. And so she's kind of got a sense for this sort of thing and is like way more attuned to the supernatural than either her brother or her father. Um, and so it's a very, like, it's kind of slow moving. I wouldn't say that it's a book with like a lot of plot in the way that like the haunting of Hill house is kind of, you were like rushing to find out what happens to the people who are in the house and like whether the house is alive or not or whatever. And this is a bit more like slow and introspective and you're, it's one of those, it reminds me a little bit of the Charlotte Perkins Gilman short story, the yellow wallpaper where you're like, is this, is this girl bananas? Or like, is there a real like terrible thing happening due to the other people who like live in her house who are doing things to her? Or is she slowly losing her mind? Or is it some combination? I don't know. So it combines that kind of slow burn claustrophobic craziness with that big house on the cliffs of Dover <laughs> thing that uh, we all love about this kind of subgenre. So that's White is for Witching by Helen Oyeyemi. You said quirky. And I took you up on it. Yes, <laughs> I love this book so much. <laughs> My recommendation, which is Amanda approved, is Horror Store by Grady Hendrix, which is an Ikea catalog horror story. Wee! Um, <laughs> basically, the premise is that there's this furniture superstore called Orsk. And um, at the place, at the store in Ohio, um, every morning the employees arrive and there's like wreckage. There's like things shattered and like wardrobes are smashed bookshelves are broken and you know their sales are down because obviously nobody wants to come to the store that's like got all the broken stuff and the security cameras aren't registering anything and the store managers are freaking out so three employees volunteer to work overnight uh like dusk till dawn and so they're patrolling sort of the empty store and encountering what is actually going on but and so that's like the story but the book actually comes in like it's like set up like it's a mail order catalog mm -hmm. and it has like illustrations and home delivery form. And like, you know, that in Ikea, they give you the little map. Like it's got that. Um, so it really is basically a horror story in an Ikea catalog. Um, and it's probably not like anything else she's read. It's super weird and kooky and fun. And it's beautifully put together. Like when you pick mm. up this book, you're like, oh my gosh, I kind of want to order that couch. <laughs> 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 but also it's probably haunted. Like, do I want a haunted couch? It's a really nice color though. Um, <laughs> these are literally the thoughts that I had when I first picked it up and flipped through it at the bookstore when it came out. So I feel like that could be like a really fun gift for your friend. So that's Horror Store. Uh, there's no E on the end, but you'll see the spelling in the show notes by Grady Hendrix. And it was illustrated by Michael Rogalski. So weird. So weird. So fun. <laughs> Such a weird book. Okay. Question six is from Jess, who says, I'll be going to the French Quarter in New Orleans for an academic conference in April. Could you recommend any books or authors to check out if I want to get to know the city ahead of time? Personally, I don't know where to start because Nala ticks so many of my interests, jazz, mysticism and magic, black culture and history, French Creole and Cajun culture, great food, all wrapped up in a small city that remains beautiful post-Katrina. Okay, I went with like a classic of New Orleans literature, which I don't know if this if that's just like a thing I invented right this second or whatever, but I went with The Interview with the Vampire by Anne Rice. Um, because it takes place in New Orleans over like several centuries. So you get to see 
the city evolve from like a backwater country plantation, like port town to like the eighties, which is when I think the books takes place. Um, so I don't, I mean, like, do I need to explain? Sure. Okay. I don't, I don't know if I need to explain the plot of interview with vampire because it's, I know, right? Like everybody's seen this movie or read the book. Um, but in case you don't know, it's about Louis, who is a young man. I think the book opens in the late 1700s or early 1800s. And he is, he owns a plantation. He's like in his very early 20s, has a wife. Um, his wife and child die. And he becomes like just melancholy. <laughs> just so melancholy. <laughs> and then when he's out in the street, the streets of the city one day getting drunk and like trying to drink himself to death, he encounters, um, oh my gosh. What's his name? Lestat. <laughs> he encounters Lestat, who is a vampire, and like who takes him under his wing and um, turns him eventually. And then they like set up shop, living on Louis' plantation until it burns down. When the slaves discover that their master is like a demonic monster, which he was already because he owned slaves, but now he's a demonic monster who can make them immortal, which is creepy. So they burn the house down. Um, and then Louis and Lestat go off on this decades, centuries long adventure through New Orleans and off into Europe. Along the way, they make a child vampire named Claudia, who's played by Kirsten, Kirsten Stewart in the movie, and is super creepy. She's like this little doll that wants to murder you. Um, and Louis just remains whingy for, for 300 years, basically. <laughs> He's so whingy. Like, he's just obnoxious. Um, but anyway, it's a great book. Like, I read it in high school. I've read it, like, three times. It's just New Orleans is a great character in the book. Um, and Lestat is hilarious and terribly cast in the form of Tom Cruise, let me tell you. Um, but, yeah. So And the Vampire Chronicles, most of them take place in New Orleans or somewhere in the vicinity. And they're all, um, like, there's so many. She's written, to, like, a dozen, I would say. Um, I will put in a little caveat that Anne Rice is a little bit the worst. Like she has some very odd opinions that she has said publicly about her readers and criticism for books, but whatever. So, you know, grain of salt. So that's Interview with a Vampire by Anne Rice. I also have a vampire book. Well, not vampire. It's magic and mysticism for you. Um, but when you give me the option, that's what I'm going to do. Sorry. Um, but in, I'm also including a link um, in the show notes to a post that went out actually just about a month ago um, of books set in New Orleans that will give you some more options. But my pick for you is Voodoo Dreams uh, by Jewel Parker Rhodes, which is sort of a combo of old mystical New Orleans and new. Um, the main character, Marie Levant, is a first-year medical resident um, who has had a rough life. Uh, she, um, Her mother died when she was a child, and then she went through the foster care system and was not well-treated, so trigger warnings for uh, family abuse. Um, but she, like, excelled, and she's got scholarships, and she also seems to have some maybe perhaps supernatural healing abilities. Um, and she's very empathetic and she is just like, she's really determined to make something of her life. So she is, and she ends up relocating to New Orleans because she's being drawn there by like dreams. Um, and the book sort of switches back and forth between her perspective in the present day and then memories and dreams and some flashbacks. Um, and she has a connection that you, as you discover over the course of the novel, to Marie Laveau, who was known as the Voodoo Queen. Uh, so there's some New Orleans history in here. There's a really 
like powerful portrayal of voodoo and how it evolved. Um, and then you get this like beautiful story of this young woman sort of trying to like come into her own and understand her family past and make something of her present life. So it's got a lot going for it. I really like found it so atmospheric and so compelling. It just like pulled me right in. And, um, and I think that there is, I'm double checking this. Yeah. There's a couple other books by Jewel Parker Rhodes in the series or like related to this book. So it there will be more for you if you like it. Um, and so, yeah, that is Voodoo Dreams uh, by Jewel Parker Rhodes. All right, let's see. The next book, or question rather, is from Joanna Lau, who says, my brother-in-law is going on a month-long rafting trip down the Grand Canyon, and I want to get him a book to bring. He's a fan of Cormac McCarthy, Edward Abbey, Western slash Mountain Man stories, and the classics. I think he would also enjoy interesting nonfiction. I would love to get him the perfect book to accompany in this adventure. What you got, Amanda? Okay, I picked Red by Terry Tempest Williams, um, which was written in 2001. Uh, and the subtitle is Passion and Patience in the Desert. So this is kind of a homage to and plea for the preservation of the Red, uh, Red Rock Wilderness, which is canyon country in southern Utah. Terry Tempest Williams is probably best known to um, Book Riot listeners or readers anyway for, as the writer of When Women Were Birds, which is like a memoir of her, her mother. But um, for, the, for the rest of her career, she has been a writer of conservation literature about America's national parks, specifically the Western wildernesses. She's also an activist um, for preserving the American West in its wild uh, state. So I picked this because, you know, she's Utah is not necessarily specifically about the Grand Canyon. I mean, it isn't, but she is talking about Canyon country and about that sort of red desert wilderness that your brother will be traveling through. So I think as he's reading it, it would be nice to um, be reading somebody else's meditations on the land and why they're worth preserving. Um, also, the, you know, this book was written a couple of years ago, but it's very timely. Um, the, the calls for like legal protections for the wildernesses, especially right now when the Trump administration is making continuous attempts to destroy our national parks services and national park systems. So for a lot of reasons, even though it is a bit, I don't want to say dated, but uh, politically not as like timely, like she's talking about, you know, Bush or whatever. She's not talking about Trump, but the, 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 the battle is the same battle. Uh, and her, her meditations on walking through the desert and like tortoises and things like that, uh, which are, don't have anything to do with her political uh, calls to action are just beautiful. And I think a thing that would be really lovely to read when you're in the Grand Canyon. So that's read by Terry Tempest. -Lord. I picked Half an Inch of Water by Percival Everett for a few reasons. The first is that it's kind of a small book. It's like less than 200 pages, um, so light, light and easy to carry, which is good when you are camping and have limited space um, in your boat. <laughs> and then it's also a short story collection. So if he wanted to like, you know, read one at night, like, or like have something that is easy to pick up and put down because you don't have necessarily a ton of downtime, this also works for that. And of course, it's just great um if you are look like it it sounds like but it doesn't sound like you are looking for that sort of classic western story perspective and Everett just has it nailed in this collection um it is all about sort of the people and the atmosphere of the west 
And some of the stories have just like a slight little bit of a fabulous touch. Um, so, for example, there's one story about an old woman who is riding her horse and gets caught in a mountain snowstorm and like sees her like beloved but, you know, long dead dog. Um, there's another one about a young Native American girl who wanders off the into the desert and the search party found finds her like sort of in the middle of a giant circle of rattlesnakes, but she's totally fine. Um, and then there's another one about a vet and there's another one about like, you know, a like small town crime gone wrong. Um, and there's just, it, it's just so well paced and put together. And Everett is a really great writer. Like he's very good at words and he's so good at capturing the cadences of the dialogue and then the actual settings that people are moving through. Like I lived in the mountain West for a while and reading this, I definitely felt like I was back there and I just, I just love it. And also Everett is uh, African-American. So this is a perspective that you don't get very often Western writers, um, Western in terms of like, you know, the, the American West, you don't have a ton of African-American writers in that space. And he's a great example of one that everybody should read. If you like Western fiction, like this is a must read. So that's Half an Inch of Water by Priscilla Everett. And that is our show. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, Please do leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people to find the show, and we love to see feedback. Thank you so much to today's sponsors for making the show happen. You can find me on social on Tumblr. It's jenirl.tumblr.com. And Amanda? I'm mostly on Instagram, and it's I'm Amanda Nelson. And we'll talk to you next time.